Bibles to Psalm 5. So if you have a copy of the scriptures with you, please open it uh, to the book of Psalms and Psalm 5. Sorry, what did I say? Psalm 5? That's wrong. It's Psalm 13. I don't know why I put Psalm 5 up there. I, I, I hope you'll forgive me. Psalm 13. Psalm 13. Obviously did that PowerPoint late at night and brain wasn't thinking. Uh, It says, for the director of music, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord... Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. For he has been good to me. Praise his name. Please keep your Bible open there. Towards the end of World War II in Burma, now known as Myanmar, Uh, the uh, Allied forces were trying to take some of the islands around uh, Burma. They wanted to use those as staging posts for uh, further invasions to conquer the enemy there. And one of the places they wanted to conquer was Ramri Island. And this island uh, was uh, held by the Japanese. But when the Allied forces advanced in, they managed to conquer, uh, take the beachhead and then conquer, move up. And the Japanese retreated. And uh, they retreated into the mango groves on Ramri Island. And a thousand Japanese were holding the particular point that the, the battle was at and they retreated into the mango groves for safety. Unfortunately, those mangrove groves were full of saltwater crocodiles. And on the 19th of February, 1945, 1,000 Japanese soldiers went in, and the next morning, 20 came out. Every other one had been killed. It was a terrible, terrible battle. And the Allies said that the crocodiles were actually uh, doing their work for them in a terrible way. Well, you know what? Sometimes there are terrible things that happen in warfare, aren't there? And that was one of those terrible stories. But, you know, with our spiritual warfare, there are other things that happen that are terrible as well. And one of the worst things that can happen to us is to face the battle with discouragement. With discouragement. Now, Discouragement is not to be confused with depression. 
Depression can happen to somebody uh, even if they're successful, even if they're doing well and things are going well. But discouragement happens to people when things are going badly wrong. And discouragement is no respecter of persons. David, who wrote this psalm, was a man who was facing discouragement. Can I put it in uh, Pilgrim's Progress language for you? He was in the giant of despair's castle. And uh, he was held captive at this point by giant despair. As you remember, Christian and his fellow hopeful were held there for a time. And uh, David was greatly discouraged. Having been on the run from Saul, he was discouraged how things were going for him coming to the throne. David was a man who had in his early life so many, many challenges. And uh, it, it reminds me of this man. I wonder if you've ever heard of this man, Oriel Raelino. I think that's how you pronounce it. He's known as the magnetic man because he has some sort of magnetic element to his body and he can't walk past anything metal without it being attracted to him literally he'll walk past radios and they'll come off the shelf towards him it's a a phenomena uh, of, of nature well David seemed to have a magnet in him that drew problems and attacks and troubles because of course he was God's king and the devil was out to get him And David faced terrible discouragement. And in Psalm 13, we're not told when this discouragement was, but we believe it was probably at the time when he was fleeing from King Saul. David talks about his own battles with discouragement. And I want us to think about this this morning, because discouragement is something you and I will face in the Christian life for sure. It's one of the devil's favorite tools to try and make people give up. Think of the reformers. Think of the difficulties they faced in the battle for the gospel. Do you know John Calvin's last words were this psalm? How long, O Lord, how long? He'd just heard about the massacre of the Huguenots in France by the Roman Catholics. He said, how long, Lord? (laughs) How long? And he he felt that, that the weight of that. Uh, Think of uh, Andrew Goforth, the missionary who went out and for 20 years laboured in the gospel and saw no conversions. What a hard thing that was. How long, Lord? How long? And think of uh, others like William Tyndale, who had all his work of translating the Bible burned and had to go back to scratch. Think of the challenge of translating from the Greek into the English for the common man. What discouragements there come upon God's people. Maybe you're facing discouragements at this time in your life. You know, it's been a week, hasn't it? You know, mortgage rates have gone up again, and that's going to affect people's lives in a real way. Many people are saying, Lord, I just don't get it. You know, how are we going to survive in this situation? Other people may be facing discouragements because of illness and their ongoing battle in their health. Others may be facing discouragements because of lack of progress in seeing their family converted or things like this. And it can be a difficult time for us as God's people often when we face discouragement. Well, I want us to look at David's battle with discouragement this morning and see this psalm because it turns around and David's sign goes to David's singing as we come out the other end. And I want this to be an encouragement as well as an edification to us this morning. And I want to see three things. David's 
painful experiences in verses 1 to 2, David's prayer for enlightenment in verses 3 to 4, and David's personal encouragement in verses 5 to 6. Those are the three stanzas you'll notice in this psalm, and uh, each point comes out of each one. So let's start first of all with David's painful experience in verses 1 and 2. And here David says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Now, the first thing that grabs you as you read this is the fact that David is using repetition. I had a friend who was a a professional musician and a songwriter, and he said, repetition is the musician's friend. He said, this is how you write a song. This is how you get an anthem across, so on. And David's doing this at the beginning, and he's pouring out his how longs at the beginning to emphasize his point of his struggles. And uh, if you read in the King James Version, which is, is something I do recommend that all Christians have a King James version. It's good to have a paraphrase like the NIV, but a King James will help you get really closer to the text, and it's good to consult that. You'll notice in the first stanza you have four how longs. In the second stanza you have three times he says lest, lest, lest these things happen. And then in the final stanza there's a a parallelism. He goes I and my, I and thy, uh, my and thy all the way to the end. So it's a structured psalm like that. And he begins with these four how longs. Interestingly enough, the rabbis in the 11th and 12th centuries, they studied this psalm and they believed it was prophetic of Israel's sufferings over the years in the various kingdoms. Uh, If you think about what the Bible reveals in the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel had uh, the privilege of interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream uh, that God had given him in Daniel chapter 2 of a statue made of four pieces of metal and it was prophetic of the four kingdoms that were going to come and rule over the Jewish people. Gold was the Babylonian, the gold head was the Babylonian Empire which was in power at that time. Then silver was the Medo-Persian Empire to follow and bronze was the Greece, uh, Grecian Empire, the bronze thighs and so on and the legs of iron Uh, were Rome. Still waiting for the last bit, the feet of clay of course, but those are the four uh, metals and they said that as there were these four great kingdoms, David prophetically, his how long speaks of Israel's struggling in each of these, through all of these kingdoms, how long Lord? And certainly Israel suffered a lot, didn't they, at the hands of the Gentile empires and it was exasperating and they were struggling. But David is speaking here, I believe, ultimately personally. And he's talking about his own personal experience and his own painful experience. And it's sometimes helpful for us to realize this, that even great men like David did struggle with discouragement. You know, Charles Spurgeon said in one of his sermons about David, he said, you know, I love reading the Psalms or I love reading the book of Samuel. He said, because wherever I find myself in the Christian life, I find David's been there before. Am I tempted? David was tempted. Am I fighting giants? (laughs) David fought giants. Am I discouraged? David was discouraged. It's good for us to remember that. You know, David suffered painful experiences of discouragement. And this is not abnormal. If you're facing discouragement this time, don't think you're the only one. You're not the only one. 
Other people are too. Great Christians are uh, in the Bible and in history and around today. And they are facing the same discouragements. But David faces these and he highlights out and pours it out to God with this lament, how long? And I want you to think about that prayer, how long? Because each one of those how longs is a cry saying, God, do I have to keep going through this? Do I have to keep enduring this? And how long is the prayer of the church? You go to the other end of the Bible in the book of Revelation and we read about the saints who have been martyred and they're under the altar of heaven and they're crying out, how long, Lord, till you vindicate us? Even the saints in heaven are praying, how long? So it's not a sinful prayer. And of course, the church down here is waiting. How long, Lord, till you come again? Come today. How long? Maybe you're praying how long for these things uh, that you're facing. David faced it as well and I want you to see David faced it with three respects he first of all with respect to God in verse one he said how long O Lord will you forget me forever how long will you hide your face from me David uh, felt like he had been forgotten by God. God had given him a covenant promise that he was going to become the king. Uh, Samuel had anointed him and he was waiting for that to happen. But it hadn't happened. And, and he was lingering, fighting his battles against Saul, running away from Saul. And it was a long time. You know, uh, scholars estimate that David was on the run for Saul for about eight to nine years. You think about that, that's a long time. You think of those people who've had to flee Ukraine. That's been a long time, but that's just been one year. David was on the run, being hunted by Saul's men. And Dueg the Edomite, who we read about, who was an evil man who helped Saul. David was on the run for eight years. And David said, Lord, how long? You said I'd be king. I feel like you've forgotten me, God. I feel like, how long? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? You know, when we talked about the ironic blessing some time back in Numbers chapter 6, we talked about God making his face, turning his face towards you and making his face shine upon you. But David knew the opposite sense of that. And he said, it feels like God's hiding his face from me. And he's not watching over me. He's not shining his face on me. I'm not being blessed. I'm not being helped at this time. So his first, how long, his first cries are about God. And then he deals with himself in this as well, in verse 2. And he says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? Scholars believe David is, is wrestling here with his own thoughts about how he can do things. You know, what happens when we get into trouble is very often we start to scheme our way out. And we want to come up with some way. And, and temptation was put to David on a number of occasions to kill Saul. After all, God's promised you the kingdom. Now's your chance, David. Take his life and take the crown. And these things were fighting around in David's head and it was a temptation. But David said, Lord, I'm wrestling with these thoughts But it's not only in my thoughts, it's in my heart. I have sorrow in my heart. Even when I come up with a scheme, how to get out of this mess, my heart still says it's not right. And I'm not feeling right inside. Have you ever felt like that? I read the testimony of a man who was converted. He went to see his minister and he said, I'm not right with myself. (laughs) And I thought, "Isn't isn't that just how it feels? 
And David was feeling like that. He said, things are not right with, with God because he's forgotten me. And things are not right with me. And then he said to the enemy, about the enemy. That was the third person in, this, in verse uh, 2, the second part. He says, how long will my enemy triumph over me? How long will Saul still keep be chasing me and still be sitting on the throne that you've promised me how long will he seem to chase me from one place to another and it really was like Saul was triumphing in in the book of Samuel 1 Samuel 27 uh, David said this it says but David thought to himself one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul the best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines That's how David really felt. It felt like the enemy was triumphing rather than him triumphing. And he was feeling great discouragement. Of course, wrapped up in that is the fact that God's promise to David, Saul knew about that promise. And therefore, when David wasn't coming to the throne and he was conquering David and driving his men around the desert and chasing them off from every place, it looked like... Saul was actually the one with the favour. It looked like he was the one who had the success. And he was the one who was winning. And he says, my enemy is triumphing over me. This was David's real painful experience. And dear friends, maybe it's your painful experience too. I want you to know, you're not the only one going through it. This This is a part of the Christian life. And you know what? Sometimes there are times when we face these type of discouragements and it feels like we'll never get there. How long? How long? I read this in a a, a book as I was preparing and it said this. We expect God to do what we want him to do and right now. But he doesn't always act immediately. Abraham had to wait for 25 years after God's promise before Isaac was born. Isaac had to wait 20 years for his children. Joseph had to wait 13 years before he was set free and put on the throne. Moses had to wait 80 years. You see, God's schedule is not the same as ours. Sometimes he waits so that he can do more for us than we expect. When he heard that Lazarus was dying, our Lord waited until his friend's death before he came. But when he came, he brought a greater miracle and received greater glory. The hardest thing to do is to wait on the Lord. But we can if we will trust him and rest on his word. If you're struggling with this experience yourself right now, let me give you a verse of scripture that's really blessed me. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 18, which says this, Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. Isn't that a wonderful verse? That's one to put on the shelf if you don't need it now. Isaiah 30 verse 18, and keep handy. The Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. And the, the verse ends, blessed are those who wait for him. So if you're saying how long, remember this painful experience is not uncommon. And even David went through it. But David came through the, out, the other side and you will too. Second thing I want you to see here is David's prayer for enlightenment. And this is where we come from David's uh, David's 
feeling his his foes and his 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 problem and he's starting to act in faith now and bring his problem to god and in verse three he says look on me and answer O lord my god give light to my eyes or i will sleep in death my enemy will say i have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when i fail Somebody has said times of struggle are when God teaches the Christian ABCs of the Christian life. And ABCs stands for adversity builds character. (laughs) And that's certainly what David was experiencing. As David was struggling, he was facing adversity, but God was using it to build him. And he was growing in his prayer life. And he was praying. And he knew how to call on God. This is why I said to the children, I hope you learn to pray. If you're not praying about your problems, you're not doing anything about them, whatever else you're doing. Prayer is the most important thing for the Christian. And David prayed for enlightenment. If you look in verse 3, he said, look on me. Now that's really the answer to the fact that God's face is hidden. If God turns and looks at you, he's not hiding his face from you anymore. And he says, look on me and answer. Now I just want you to underline that in your mind. One of the things that's been impressing me in my own Bible reading recently is how many times the psalmist and people like Daniel say, God, answer me. Answer me. Now, if you're praying for something, I recommend you bring that in your prayers to God. Say, God, answer me. Look at Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel prayed that God would hear my prayer, O God. Act quickly. For your namesake. Answer me. And this is what David said. Lord I'm discouraged because things are taking so long. Answer me. And then he presents his request. And he says answer me. O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes. Or I will sleep in death. Now what's he praying for? David is praying for enlightenment. Light for the eyes is a Bible way of saying about enlightenment show me show me what i need to see in this situation i remember reading this in a book some years ago uh, by an older christian and i remember thinking that's something to remember they said one of the things to pray regularly in the christian life is god show me what i'm not seeing show me what i'm not seeing Show me what I'm missing, what I'm not seeing about my family. As a parent, you know, that's a good thing to pray. You know, you can look at your children with rose-tinted glasses. Lord, show me what I'm not seeing. Show me what I'm not seeing in this situation at church. Why, what we need to know about the situation at church. Show me what I'm not seeing about my situation at work. Open my eyes, enlighten me, teach me. And this is something that God himself calls us to do. You know, in Jeremiah 33, verse 3, it says, Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. That's a prayer for revelation, a prayer for knowledge, a prayer for insight. You know, sometimes our problems can be solved and they can be solved by us. Not always can they be solved. Not always can they be solved by us. But sometimes they can. Sometimes God wants us to do something. And we just say, Lord, enlighten my eyes. Show me. Show me what I'm not seeing, what I'm not understanding. You know, when Jacob was Laban's place, God showed Jacob how even though his wages had been changed ten times by his, his wicked father-in-law, God showed Jacob, this is how you can make your flocks prosper. 
and his flocks multiplied more than Laban's flocks. And God gave him revelation knowledge on that situation. This is what David's praying for. Enlighten my eyes. You know, this is a New Testament prayer too. In the book of Ephesians, Paul said, I pray this for you. He said, I pray in Ephesians 1.18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. You know, how terrible to go through life as blind as a mole and then just have our eyes opened at the end of life like a mole's eyes. Suddenly sees light and suddenly it makes sense at the end of life. Do you know what a terrible thing to go through the Christian life and not see the great truths that can help us in the Bible. To not learn about the power of the Spirit or the power of prayer. So David says, give light to my eyes. And maybe that's a prayer that you should be praying today. Lord, show me. Enlighten my eyes. Teach me. Teach me the things that will help me get the battle against temptation and sin in my life. Show me how I can win this person over in the office who doesn't like me. Enlighten my eyes. And if you're a non-Christian, I want to say this is a prayer for you to pray especially. David saw the need for it for him physically because he was up against Saul literally trying to physically kill him. And that's why he said uh, in verse 3, or I will sleep in death. You know, Saul will kill me unless you show me how to survive this situation. And my enemy will say I've overcome him. But uh, for you, this matters spiritually or you will sleep a sleep in death. And what am I talking about here? Unless you realize you are a sinner who is going to hell, you will go to hell in a handbasket without any consciousness of it. Unless God opens your eyes to see that you are a sinner who has offended a holy God, you will never know the need to seek Jesus' salvation that he bought for us on the cross. You need, above all people, to have your eyes opened. And my prayer for you is that he will enlighten you. I read a a beautiful story just recently about a a young lad in America. Uh, This is back in the days of the pioneers, you know, the days of uh, Little House on the Prairie and stuff. And his name was Jorgen Schuler. And it was a very sad story, really. But Jorgen was one of three brothers, and uh, their mother had died, and they were being raised by their father. Now, their mother seemed to have been a believer and had a Bible and prayed for the children, but she died while they were young. And their father was a drinking, swearing, tough guy who didn't want any of that, and so he put the Bible away and left the boys to their own devices. Well, because they lived by hunting and living uh, uh, in the woods. They often uh, were out late at night. And these boys who were uh, growing up without any thought of God in their lives at all, they were out one night hunting for food, and they would catch all sorts of animals for food, including raccoons. And the three brothers were going along, and they saw a big raccoon up in a tree. And they said, we'll never get him, he's way up there. And Jorgen said, no, let me try So I'm the best climber out of all of us. I reckon I can get up there, shake the branch, and we'll get the raccoon, and that'll be our food. So he scrambled up, and he got up to the tree, and he got to the branch where the raccoon was on, 
and he started to shake the branch. Well, you know what the raccoon did? The raccoon retreated along the branch, made it harder to get to him. So Jorgen went out. And of course, he's a boy, he's not thinking, and it's dark at night, and he shakes the branch while he's on it to get the raccoon to fall off down to his brothers down below. And the next minute, he hears crack, and he himself is falling. And as he's falling, he realizes he's probably going to die. This is so high. There's hard ground on the floor below him. He's probably going to die. And so he just cries out, Lord, have mercy. And as he's falling, he grabs a branch and his life is spared. You know, that was the last branch on the way down. But even then, his arms are aching and he's weary and frightened. And he cries again, Lord, have mercy. I know if I fall and die now, I will go to hell. That's not what my mother wanted. And God helped him miraculously to get down out of that tree alive. Well, the brothers took him home and they put him to bed. He was badly shaken up by the incident. I don't know what happened to the raccoon, but uh, they, uh, they put him to bed. And he woke up the next day. And the first thing he did while everybody else was out the house was he went looking for his mother's Bible. And he found her Bible buried away in a trunk and he started to read it. But you know what? As he read it, what did he read? He read about God's wrath. He read how God is angry with the wicked every day, as it says in the book of Psalms. And he was frightened by that. And then he read in the Old Testament the law of God, the holy law of God, for the law of righteousness that he had broken. And as he read these commandments, he saw not to tell lies, not to steal, not to covet, And he realized he'd done all these things and he felt worse and worse. So he thought, I'll start reading in the New Testament. And he started reading about the rich man in Hades and he was frightened out of his life because he knew he was a sinner and he knew that there was a hell and he was going there. And he prayed, God, help me to find the way out. Open my eyes. One day they were working in a field together, the three brothers. And Jorgen would occasionally go off and retreat for prayer. He was so desperate. He was so frightened. He realized his situation. He had died. He had gone to hell. He didn't want that to happen. So he went off while they were working in a field back into the woods to go and pray. And said, God, when I get home and read that Bible, I need something more than hell. And I need something more than the law I know I've broken. And he got back home and he read the gospel and he read about the Lord Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. He read about the Lord Jesus being our saviour. He read about Paul telling us how the Lord in his mercy laid our sins on Christ so that we could have God's righteousness in him. And he said, that's what I need. And he prayed, God save me on this basis. And he was wonderfully saved. Now in his town there was no minister there was no minister. You see little house on the prairie and they've got a little chapel. Most of those places never did. And they had travelling ministers. And one day a man was travelling through. His name was Mr. Morris and he had a big Bible on the side. Like, you know, other guys had a gun on the side of his horse. He had a big Bible on the side of his horse. He said, he must be a minister. And he went running up to him. He said, mister, I need to talk to you. And they sat down with the Bible open. He said, listen, he said, I've seen Jesus save sinners. He said, and I'm trusting he's going to save me. Is that right? 
And he said, if you're trusting in him, you're already saved. But you know what? He needed to have his eyes opened. And you need to have your eyes opened too, lest you sleep the sleep of death. And if God hasn't opened your eyes to see that you're a sinner, say, God, I need to know that. Because otherwise I'm never going to turn. I'm never going to repent of something I don't feel. Ask God, God, help me to see I need to be saved. Ask God, help me to see hell is real and I'm really going there. And ask God, help me to see Jesus Christ and put my trust in him alone for salvation. That's the gospel. Paul said, uh, so David said, give me light, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. That's a prayer for all of us to pray from different perspectives. And then thirdly, we see here David's personal encouragement because that's how this psalm ends because it turns on the next word which is but in verse 5 and but is the hinge that brings us out of the praying to the praising out of the uh, 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 the requesting to the rejoicing and he says but I trust in your unfailing love my heart rejoices in your salvation I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. I don't know how many of you remember this guy, George Foreman. Uh, but I remember when I was a teenager reading a book by George. That was it was book, his autobiography. And uh, it's the story of his boxing career. And uh, how he had that famous fight with Muhammad Ali. Some of you remember the rumble in the jungle. And uh, Muhammad Ali took the title and he lost it. Would you know at the age of 45 years old, 20 years later... George Foreman said, I'm going to get that title back. And he started fighting his overweight stomach. And he started exercising, jogging, skipping, going down the gym again. And he got himself fit enough to get back in the ring with the then champion, a man by the name of Michael Mora. And 20 years, I think nearly to the day, he won back the title that he had lost before. What an amazing comeback. Well, that's nothing compared to the comeback David has here. From his discouragement, he ends up in personal encouragement. As I say, it hinges on that word, but. And he turns and he says, but I trust. I trust. And you know what, dear friends? That's the key to our personal encouragement when we're facing discouragement. It's trust. Remember I told you about giant despair in Pilgrim's Progress? Christian and hopeful got out of that prison and you know how they got out of it Christian was languishing in the prison dying of starvation when suddenly he remembered he had a key in his pocket that would open any door how you forget something like that I don't know but you can do that in films you know or books and he found this key in his pocket called promise and promise undid the prison cell of despair and he was able to escape. And this is the key David uses to get out of his discouragement. I trust in your unfailing love. He knew God had a covenant promise with him to give him the throne. And God would not fail. Chesed, his covenant faithfulness in Hebrew, was going to come true. Whatever his enemies were rejoicing, he said, I'm going to trust in that. And my heart is going to rejoice in your salvation. Salvation from Saul, 
salvation from sin. And David was going to rejoice in the Lord. And he ends on this beautiful verse, verse 6. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. What a great turnaround David had here when he started praising the Lord at the end and putting his trust in the living God and in the promises he made. F.B. Meyer in his commentary on the Psalms gives this application. He says, pray on, troubled believer. It is marvellous how certainly prayer proves to be a ladder from the deepest dungeon to the most radiant day. And that's true. We trust in God's word. We praise him for what he's going to do, even before he's done it. And we're in the land of personal encouragement again. So learn from David and learn from those who copied him, like Paul and Silas in prison, who praised the Lord in the night in the prison cell in Philippi, and God set them free. And put your trust in the Lord and praise him. He is the God of encouragement, as we read in the New Testament. And if you're facing a battle of discouragement, then this is the way out of it. May God help each and every one of us, and especially those who have yet to find Christ and turn to him.